Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 87, The World Has Gone and Changed on You. This week, we're discussing season 4, episode 15 of Buffy, This Year's Girl, and series 6, episode 10 of Doctor Who, The Girl Who Waited. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. It's all about the girls this week. It is. Girls on both sides. Um, yeah. And pretty good episodes, too. I'm excited. Yeah. I They were both quite, quite good. I, quite good. I like them. So... Let's start uh, with Faith, um, yes. who is back this week. Um, you know, we... She is. That's not... Uh, I feel like they've kind of hinted that once or twice in Buffy and Angel in the last couple... Like, there have been, like, subtle references to, like, mm-hmm. the council. I guess ever since sort of Wesley turned up, she's been sort of... Maybe a little bit more implicit, you know, like, yeah. you know, like his kind of failure to keep her contained and the disapproval of the council and all that kind of thing. Um, yep. So, yeah, so there, it's kind of laying in that groundwork that, oh, don't forget about Faith. And I kind of like how a lot of the episode is about the fact that people have forgotten her. <laughs> like, yeah. not like totally, but like where, you know, I mean, we're sitting here going through this like with a fine tooth comb every week so mm-hmm. you know you're it's a lot more present in your mind to be thinking of like the characters and the themes and all this stuff whereas I feel like if you were just watching as a viewer like you know letting it wash over you not necessarily scrutinizing it and with all the mm-hmm. like summer breaks and the longer waits between episodes that they have, you probably could get to this point in the season and have like completely forgotten about faith. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like probably that would have been me. Like if I was watching this live, you know, it gets to like February or whatever it is of the next year and been like, Oh yeah, she was like sort of a big deal last season. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no. And that's a good point because there definitely would have been the break there, the kind of, like you maybe can't quite completely forget about Faith, but she's pushed far enough yeah. into the back of your mind, which I feel like, or at least like, is kind of you. You remember that she's there, but you've forgotten like to consider her as like a threat because she's been in this coma and everything. Yeah. And and I think that's exactly where we're supposed to expect that Buffy. Yeah. Has and and the rest of them has sort of got. It's like when they get the phone call, it's like. Oh, like we know at that point, obviously, because right. we see Faith up and around and watching from the window. But we, like, they are kind of like, "Oh, this is out of the blue. You yeah, know, worst timing ever. Right. This is not um, something that we were expecting." Um, yeah, and I you mentioned ma- before, like, of course, just when we've sort of revealed the next big threat, you know, who's yeah out there and on sort of a killing spree and doing a lot of damage. You know, this is not when we need, like, rogue slayer who's going around causing trouble. And I won't say anything, but of course, it also then calls into question of who is the real big bad of the season. Right. Right. Going to be. Who should we be more worried about? 
Yeah. We've still got like what seven episodes left in the season, so yeah. you know anything can sort of happen in that time, one or the other, or they might team up, or there's like a lot of different ways it things can go, going yeah. on here. Um, and not to get, I mean, we will mention Spike later too, but like there's also the idea of you know he's he's still trying to figure out who he is in the grand scheme of evil, yeah. and like there is a. There is a sense in which the Scoobies wrote him off, too. Right. But we see here, like, maybe they've been a little too cavalier mm-hmm. around him, you know, that it's potential that he might team up with Faith or something or, right. or you know, feed her information and that kind of thing. Right. So, so there, it, like, even the fact that we've just revealed that Adam is this big bad and kind of all our focus is on him, it's like, well, maybe there's more to it than just that. Sure. And... And not knowing where that's going to go at this point. Um, yeah. That's kind of interesting. I, I wanted to point out, I actually didn't throw in a section for um, show notes or anything, mm-hmm. but I did want to point out that this was written by Doug Petrie, mm-hmm. who is sort of, I mean, you know, Faith and Buffy obviously were in a lot of episodes over season three together yeah. and stuff. But um, when you think of like the episodes where there's really some big contentions between them. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been involved in them. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he wrote Revelations, which mm-hmm. um, was the episode where uh, Gwendolyn Post, uh, right. the new the new watcher, came, and there was sort of the tension between uh, Buffy and Faith, right. you know, with regard to who they should listen to and how right. they should act and, and all that, you know, that kind of thing. Um he wrote the episode Bad Girls, okay. uh, which is, you know, the one where... Where Buffy goes off with her and, like, yeah, skips like, out on school and goes a little crazy Yeah, and Faith sort of convinces Buffy to become... And they like end her. up killing that guy. Um, the mayor's... Yeah. I forget like, his name, but... Deputy. The, yeah, his deputy, right. Yeah. Um, right, so I guess he's sort of one of the primary Faith writers. And Well, and then um, Enemies he wrote as well, which is the, the episode where faith reveals it, it uh, to Buffy or that it, it, it is revealed, you know, that faith is working with the mayor now because right. of the result of what happened in bad girls. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, you think of sort of those episodes where there's some good tension mm-hmm. and all, but also like, I think you, you see the theme running through them of Buffy wanting to not, just dismiss faith either Mm. you know and and is trying even even in this episode when they first confront her yeah uh you know buffy is is trying to make sure that she doesn't go into it in a sort of conflict right conflicty kind of mind you know like that that there's that she actually wants to go into it trying to yeah not make amends because i don't think buffy feels that she did anything wrong but to offer a way to bury the hatchet so to speak yeah Um, give faith the opportunities to make different choices or to you know give her the benefit of the doubt um Mm -hmm. which we can talk about when we get to the scoobies because she seems kind of alone in that like the other scoobies aren't as willing to forgive i don't think yeah i think in those instances where that has been the case that she has been alone a lot of the time in that desire and and i think that's you know partly because it's you know they're both slayers and you know they 
if anyone's going to understand either of them, it's going to be the other one, sure. you know? And unfortunately it's like, yes, I understand all too well. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, or at least that's the attitude faith seems to take with it. Right. Um, whether that's appropriate or not, or accurate. Right. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to sort of mention that, 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 yeah, Doug Petrie is kind of, yeah, that's interesting in that, in that, mode of writing for faith and i will whether or not this has anything to do with uh faith's character per se i i will mention that petrie continues writing right up through season seven Hmm. so (laughs) um i won't say whether that has anything impact on faith's character or not but um just we'll see more of his work along the way interesting cool um well so yeah, with regard to faith. Then. With regard to faith, um, I guess we'll start kind of at the beginning for where she starts because we've had all of we've had all the the dreams that Buffy's had and have been sort of either prophetic or just sort of symbolically important for what's going on. Um, and then now we're getting uh, Faith is now in her coma, you know, or coming mm-hmm. out of her coma is dreaming of Buffy, um, which I don't think we saw before, right? All the dreams which they had together were always from Buffy's, or it was ambiguous. Like, you weren't quite sure if it could have been a shared dream, but all we knew for sure was that it, you know, at least was from Buffy's side, if not both. But here, Mm. you know, we're getting the faith side of things, I guess. Um, So, uh, a couple things struck me. One is, like, the... I guess this is a possibly data for the kind of shared dream idea was like the similarity to Buffy's dreams. The fact that they're like back in that apartment, you know, and they're sort of, you know, before it was like boxing things up and moving and they're always like doing stuff in the apartment. This time they're making the bed and everything. So Mm -hmm. it's like these kind of little householdy chores that, you know. Yeah, sort of mundane kind of Things that you don't picture Slayers really doing. Yeah, and there's always, like, a contrast between, like, the conflict of what's going on when they're awake and how calm and nice and comfortable they are in the dream. Like, the dream, you know, they could be, like, trying to kill each other in real life, Mm -hmm. but in the dream, you get the sense of this sort of, you know, understanding, if not actual, like, respect and friendship and everything um before the twist (laughs) which we'll talk about which leads into the rest of the dreams um but uh the one little detail i did want to flag here because it's kind of a interesting turn of phrase um you know and and the dialogue's kind of all about pointing to this idea of faith being feeling sort of abandoned and alone and you know forgotten and everything and so you know all of the dialogue is about you know her saying to Buffy no it's okay you have to go I understand you have to do what you have to do so you know kind of dealing with her anxiety there but specifically she says um that you have to go because little sis is coming uh and so much to do before she gets here so you know I don't think at this point, you know, unless anybody's spoiled as to what's going on, there's anything that we can say about that, like 
we don't know what that means. Um, yeah. You know, unless there are other clues and references that I'm just not picking up on, I feel like that's the first we've heard about little sis, what that might mean. So, you know, I don't know what else to say about it other than to say my ears pricked up and I'll be listening for that in the future, but. I will say this. Okay. It's not the first reference. It's not. Interesting. Um, oh, that but, means I missed one. But it definitely is. I mean, it's it's pretty clear here. And knowing, mm. I, I was wondering if you uh, would pick up on it. I thought you probably would because you've mentioned to me that you know that Michelle Trachtenberg is I do know. And, I do and, know that Michelle Trachtenberg is, is coming. And I'll... T- I'll I'll disclose what I know. I know that she has some sort of role as I've seen her referred to as Buffy's sister. Yeah. I have no clue what that means. Like, like it could be like a big brother, big sister. Yeah. Kind of like little sister kind of program. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or if, if it is a literal sister, how they explain that in, in some sort of mythological way that, you know, where or that she's this... just been there all along and just been living with dad and she just never came up. Right, you know, like the <laughs> like when sitcoms used to like send a brother upstairs and then they were never seen again, that kind of thing. Like, oh, we had this sister who I just never talked about. I don't know. Like, it could be anything from something yeah. as mundane as that to like, like, you know, a magically conjured new sister. I have no clue, yeah. you know. So that's what I don't know is like, what that means or how she works into the story, you know? So um, this is the first reference that I've noticed to the little sister. So that's interesting if it's been in there before, because it must've gone straight over my head. Yeah. Um, there, There is another reference that we've already hit. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what it is because mm-hmm. it's actually a reference not to sort of the arrival okay. of her, but something that happens later okay. in in the story that's kind of significant. So I won't I won't tell you what it is. It's obscure. Okay. And it it required like Joss Whedon confirming on a you know mm. uh uh the the you know what do you call that? The like the director's cut track or whatever. Oh, like the commentary, the commentary. Yeah. Like you know, many years okay. later, like, okay. yeah, that so was I'm a not, reference to it. So, so I'm not being like, you know, obtuse no. by not noticing um, it. I will, I, I'll go ahead and say there will be another reference mm-hmm. uh, before she arrives to her arrival, another foreshadow, an, an intentional yeah. foreshadowing reference. Like these are all, this one specifically in this episode, Little Sis, it definitely is a foreshadowing. And, and again, yeah. like, I wouldn't say this, except that you already know it. And I feel like probably many of our listeners already sure. know it, it you know, yeah. cause it, it would be hard to hide. Yeah. It's hard to hide certain information. Yeah. Like again, like we mentioned before, I know who the next companion is going to be. Right. I don't know when she's coming or right. how, it's like you that. know, yeah. it's going to play out kind of thing. But, um, you know, I know that her name's Clara and I know the actress, you know, who plays her yeah. and I know what she looks like and that kind of thing. But that does, I don't think that ruins the story. Anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well. And but yeah, I'll, I'll 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 say there will be one more mm-hmm. reference. Okay. You know, foreshadowing her, 
Uh, I'll be interested to see if you pick up on that one, too. So, okay. like, I don't know how much you know uh, about her. And, and nothing other than when I hear the term little sis, I do have a pretty strong suspicion that that refers yeah. to Michelle Trachtenberg. But that's about it. Um, do you know her character name? I do. It's Dawn, right? Okay. Yes, I yeah. know that. Yeah. Okay. No, but, but I mean, it is interesting that we're getting her foreshadowed. So to me, that means I'd be really surprised if it was like, oh, she's just the sister we never heard about, and she's just like a regular. Like to me, this assumes a sort of mythological weight that she's being, you know, not that she's magical necessarily, but that her yeah. arrival is being foretold in some way you know that there's sure. some sort of significance to her arrival and, and it must be prepared for like there's lots to do like like this is a thing which is you know yeah. being sort of you know her arrivals yeah. being foretold a bit i don't know yeah no i i don't think that's well i would just say that you know again there are many potentially mundane reasons to explain sure. it. Sure, like, and it would be like Whedon to just screw me over and... <laughs> yeah, to build it up and yeah. then it be... That and have it be totally subverted, yeah. 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 Um, not that that may or may not be the case of what happened, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. I, I, again, I won't confirm or deny other than to say that, yes, this is, this is a reference, a foreshadowing of that uh, character and and you know whatever however that may play out we still have a number of episodes yeah, we do. <laughs> before she arrives yeah uh, or before I mean before she is on screen yeah. anyway well um, so the other thing which um, I guess the kind of turn the dream takes and then leads us into the later dreams is you know, despite the kind of very calm and kind way they're speaking to each other, then there's that, like, kind of gory moment at the end where you realize that, you know, Buffy's, you know, stabbed Faith like she did. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, Faith's bleeding all over the bed and everything. And, you know, she right. says, like, are you ever going to take this thing out? Like, as if it's been in there the whole time. Like, mm -hmm. it suggests to me, like, it's almost like she's been dreaming this over and over and that knife's always there every time, you know, and, and she's waiting for it to come out. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just the fact that we get these, you know, series of dreams where she's being hunted down by Buffy, you know, who's always got the knife and is always coming after her and is, you know, killing the mayor with, like, you know, the mayor's kind of uh, painted in kind of, like, rosy colors. You know, he's it's all his sweetness to her. None of the kind of, like, havoc-causing craziness, you know, or villainy. You know, it's just kind of having picnics, and he's the nice dad and everything. Sure. And just right. minding his, his own business when Buffy comes along and, like, mercilessly, like, kills him for no reason. Um, right. And then hunts Faith down. And, like, Buffy's always right. coming in this, like, really cold, detached, robotic, like, 
just this killing machine and buff and yeah. faith's kind of very like psycho yeah. murder movie yeah you know, and faith's like the pace. you know you know the the heroine of the horror movie she's the sort of like just fleeing for her life girl, and, yeah. yeah so yeah. kind of interesting what it might suggest about a little bit of like faith psychology that like she feels you know which you know i, I don't want to judge her for this too much because I mean, granted, she has kind of acted like a villain, but, uh, you know, we all get into, we all kind of feel like the victim, right? Even when we've sure. wronged other people, you know, we all still feel yeah. like, well, you know, I can justify it because whatever, you know, and most of this episode is like Faith's big, like, act of justification for how she feels, how she feels, but it's sort of like in the subconscious of Faith, she's the innocent victim. And Buffy's yep. this, you know, cold, detached killer who's out to get her, basically, is what it looks like to yeah. me. Um, yeah. Well, we're, yeah, and we're all the heroes of our own story. Sure. Right. So it's, there's definitely, yeah. Definitely that aspect here to see it. Like you said, even when we've wronged other people, we always, there's always a reason why. Yeah we can just yeah we had to because of whatever or somebody (laughs) hurt us first or whatever it is Mm -hmm. you know so you know it seems like faith by this point is like entirely divorced herself from the wrong that she's done you know not that she not that it's wrong for her to feel afraid or alone or abandoned Mm -hmm. like those are all legitimate feelings but what she's not seeming to reflect on at all is like the you know the things she's done which you know like she's not spending any time thinking that we see about you know the people that she killed or you know what she did to Xander or the fact that she was trying to kill Buffy first or Mm -hmm. stealing you know her boyfriend or helping the mayor take over Sunnydale like None of that is part of her thought process. It's all kind of about how she's been wronged and abandoned. Right. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so, just, like Buffy one... says, like, her coma didn't really give her any new perspective other than to make her even more afraid and isolated than she already was. Right. Right. Um just one minor thing. I don't know. That's a big deal, but you know, we did talk about the uh, scene where faith is sort of running through the graveyard and then falls into the grave and Buffy goes down after it. And then she climbs out. Um, Apparently that scene is something of a reference to Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yes, I knew it. (laughs) Did you pick that up? I I have it in my notes. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, So yeah, no, that, well, the standing in the rain. Yes. Yeah, like and Tim then, like, Robbins, the raisins, you know, yeah, like, looking up. And, yeah. yeah, well, and, like, the camera does exactly the same, like, it's, yeah. like, the exact same shot, just with yeah. Faith instead of Tim Robbins, so, yeah. yes. Anyway, I, minor point, but just thought I'd mention it. Um, there are, and apparently the, um, the, the scene where the demon, they see him sort of flayed and eviscerated there, mm-hmm. is a reference to Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. Although I don't know that movie as well enough to be able to, I wouldn't have picked that out without having read it. Yeah, 
That, yeah, that Hannibal Lecter, he does like to do some nasty things. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it's interesting. So... I mean, those movie references, I think, are useful. Because, like, for Adam, it kind of, again, suggests to me, like, his, like, his brutality, but also that intelligence behind it. That, like, mm -hmm. he is, like, a scientist and, like, a dis dissector. Like, it's not just in it for the kill, but, like... He's deliberate and he's methodical and all those kind of psychopathic things. Um, yeah. And with Faith, that's interesting because that makes me wonder, okay, is that supposed to be ironic with the Shawshank Redemption? Because kind of the idea of that is like, you know, the character who's been innocent and wrongfully imprisoned for whatever, like 30 years or something, finally yeah. crawls out like digs himself out and escapes mm. so is that supposed to be like ironic like his kind of like actual rebirth is like you know not quite exactly what faith's going through because she hasn't ever actually like been redeemed or she was never really you know innocent of her crimes in the first place but also is it like is that how she sees herself as like the, the wrongfully imprisoned person who's just escaping and is free and like, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of, I think that works with the, with the character. Yeah. Well, um, and you might remember last week I mentioned, um, it was interesting bringing up like Sartre and ex existentialism and stuff, uh, in reference to, uh, no exit. I think you had brought it up, right. uh, in reference to that. But, uh, so, there's actually um, a book. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I, oh, you uh, told Buffy, me last week, and now I can't. Yeah, uh, Buffy Faith and Bad Faith, I guess, where um, basically talks about uh, existentialism and that idea of Buffy. And so for this uh, this episode um, and the next one, which. It's a two-parter. Sure, yeah, we had a cliffhanger <laughs> uh, this time. Uh, refers, actually, to Sartre and his his idea of... Um, so in his book, Being in Nothingness, there's a chapter or a part or whatever called The Look. And it, it talks about seeing yourself from the perspective of the other, you know, capital O, mm -hmm. other. And that a lot of a lot of what faith does in this episode is actually faith looking at herself or seeing herself uh, in opposition to, or in sort of reaction to Buffy. Mm. So I think, I think a lot of what you've already said sort of falls along those lines, but like, you know, especially in the scenes where they're together, it's like, you know, Buffy saying, well, if I were her, I would get the heck out of Dodge, you know, post hasty. And, yeah. uh, you know, and Faith turns around and says, I'm, I'm not you or you're not me or whatever, yeah. you know, like that's, uh, you know, those kind of moments where, where it is, um, the, the sort of skewed, you know, Faith looking at herself through not the way that Buffy actually sees her, mm. but in the way that she imagines Buffy sees her, yeah, you know, and that's, that's the, but also like it's skewed because it's like, she has a skewed version of Buffy and also 
the vision that she imagines Buffy has is skewed of her. Right. So, like, it becomes a sort of, like, double prism effect where right. Faith is the hero and Buffy right. is the villain, you know? So, like, because she views Buffy as the villain, you know, she's viewing through Buffy's eyes Faith as herself as being, uh, you know, good and needing deserving of death for her goodness well it's like she's not as good as she imagines but she's also buffy doesn't see her as bad as faith imagines either you know like like what you said about buffy always wanting to try to understand faith or give her another chance or give her the opportunity to not fight in the middle of the crowd or, you know, not kill somebody for no reason or, you know, just make some sort of good decision. Buffy's desperate for her to do that. And I don't think Faith gets that at all. Like, Buffy doesn't... Like, that to her is Buffy's, like, self-righteousness. You know, like, that's not Buffy saying, here, I understand, let me help you. That's Buffy saying look how much better I am that I know, you know, what the right thing to do is and I'm telling you how to behave and, like, you know, you know, she imagines that Buffy, like, looks down on her for that, you know. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, she does in the sense that she doesn't want her to make those decisions, but, like, I think she thinks that Buffy has written her off as this monster that needs to be killed, you know, whereas, yeah. like, that's not at all what Buffy wants, you know, that Buffy would like to, you know, Giles uses the word, like, rehabilitation. Like, Buffy doesn't want her locked away or or executed. She wants her rehabilitated and saved and changed, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, um, so a very, diff- very interesting aspect of yeah. how Faith sort of views herself but yeah it is all skewed and it is definitely yeah definitely uh uh well i guess perverted is really the only way to say it like not right in a sexual way obviously but in a which is how that word is frequently used but just in in the way of that's not really how things are yeah um and unfortunate that she can't see that because of course Things, as Buffy sort of says, and Faith doesn't believe her, things could be actually good between them. But yeah, Faith chooses not to let it be that way. No, I mean, Faith at this point doesn't have a reason really to be the villain anymore. Like, the mayor's gone, you know? Like, it's not like she her ally is not there anymore. And right. his plan to take over failed. So really at this point like the only reason she has to keep you know and and she doesn't just run away like she's like Mm -hmm. there's a bit of her which is kind of obsessed with Buffy and that she can't just let this go like right you could just imagine like Buffy says like a sane person would just get out of dodge whereas Faith is like yeah no we got to fight about this some more (laughs) like you know like this has to come down to a confrontation and she's going to make sure it's one, somebody's going to win and somebody's going mm-hmm. down, you know? Um, yep. Even if she gets herself killed in the process, that doesn't matter. Like, it's got to be, you know, you got to see this conflict through. Um, yeah. 
So, hmm. What else? So, yeah, well, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I think. Well, with with, you know, the idea of her sort of skewed vision, like, yeah, like it is interesting that she doesn't she doesn't just sleep like there is that there is that. In the same way that sort of, I guess, Buffy is drawn to try to help her because mm -hmm. like they're the only two slayers and so they're the only ones who can sort of understand like yeah. again it goes that back to that idea i think of of sort of faith has a perverted view of what the what that means it's like because buffy's the only other slayer it's like why would she go anywhere else she the way that faith sort of is looking at the world it's like you can't both live in the world. And maybe this is the whole reason why there is only one Slayer, historically speaking, you know, like the fact that there was ever a second Slayer was sort of an accident of Buffy's momentary death. Right. It's like, it's, it's, it seems kind of hard to believe that through, you know, for however, we don't even know how long there's like been Slayers and whatever, but like, you know, the fact that like, that had never happened before where there's like been a death and a resuscitation mm -hmm. uh to trigger a second slayer that we know of i mean right evidence seems to suggest anyway that there aren't any others right. um you know just the very fact that that has never happened in the past sort of suggests that it, there's not meant to be two slayers around and even when you know buffy and kendra first meet there's there's some tension there right. and you know i'm the slayer no i'm the slayer yeah. and it's very competitive whatever and they kind of learn to deal with it unfortunately kendra dies fairly quickly yeah. so you know we don't we don't get to see how that would have played out but who knows given enough time maybe that tension would have come back and there would have been more of a yeah uh you know problems between the two of them too maybe it's just a natural it's you know like you can't have one rooster in a yard kind of thing, you know, right. it's what they're going to fight until they kill each other. Right. So, right. Um, or at least if they're like faith, they will. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like maybe like, I think the sort of questions that Buffy is probably asking her, herself and that faith might be asking herself if she was more introspective is, you know, can you really even have two slayers coexist mm. and and like you're getting sort of the two potential answers to right. that question you know between the two of them kind of depends on who they are you know yeah buffy <laughs> yeah thinks that it might be able to work yeah faith believes that no it will never work and so therefore it will never work but it's weird too because you know faith's you know, words and her actions are often so different. You know, it's she can be hard to figure out because, you know, everything she's doing is like, you know, trying to kill Buffy or threaten her friends or cause mm -hmm. destruction and all this stuff. But all of her reasoning, like what she's saying to Buffy and to Joyce and everything is all about like, how she wants to belong like that she resents 
you know, and, and some of this might just be trying to press Buffy's buttons and everything, you know, or rile up Joyce or whatever. But I think there's some truth in what she's saying about feeling, you know, left out and abandoned that like, like she's kind of offended by the fact that, you know, there was this conflict over Angel and now Buffy's not even with him anymore. Like, like, you know, oh, you mean we went to all that trouble and then you just dropped him, you know, and, and you haven't thought about me since, like, like that kind of offends her, you know, or the fact that they haven't really... Which of course isn't true. It's not true and it's not exactly logical, but like Faith believes it to be true, you know, (laughs) and it seems like it really bothers her, you know? Um, and, you know, and there's perfectly good counter arguments to that, like, well, you know, you know, it was Faith that tried to get in between them in the first, like, it really is all Faith's fault, but, like, just the fact that she even cares, like, who Buffy is loyal to, and who she cares about, and she is offended by the fact that, like, she hasn't really thought about her much, you know, or, or she presumes hasn't really felt any guilt over what she did and everything. Um, like at the same time as she kind of is acting as though she believes, okay, there can only be one slayer and one of us has got to go. On the other hand, all she talks about is how like, you know, Buffy isn't letting her into her special Scooby friend club, you know? (laughs) So there's this like weird, like disconnect between, what she says she wants and what she like acts like she wants, I guess. Yeah. And well, but then there's also like the cynical side, right? The, yeah. the faith, these are innocent people. There's no such animal. Like, you know, yeah. like the, the, so there's, even if there might be some of that desire for acceptance, there's also that sort of, either overarching or underlying or maybe both i'm not (laughs) sure which is the right you know adjective to use there but this idea that she just she just sees the worst in human action and buffy isn't i mean she buffy isn't like you know the la-di-da i mean she knows that bad things happen right but she also has a more tempered view yeah. that no there actually are good people and there are good things and things worth living and fighting for yeah and, uh yeah buffy just... buffy at least tries to see the best even if she knows people don't always act to their best yeah. you know yeah um, um. yeah anyway. no and yeah i mean faith is very cynical you know that uh seeing the worst in Buffy's motivations, even, like, and using that to try to get to Joyce and say, like, you know, well, look at all these letters, you know, that she hasn't been by, and, you know, you know, just presuming that, you know, and maybe that is what that means, but also that's just sort of the reality of going away to school, is you don't go home as much and read your mail. Like, you know, she's assigning the worst, these, like, malicious motivations where there are none. Yeah. yeah. And we all know people like that. Sure. Maybe they're not all psycho killers like Faith, but, <laughs> you know, there are definitely people out there who just, no matter what you say, yep. no matter what you do, <laughs> they're going to believe the worst and think that everyone is against them. And, yeah. 
we all know at least one person like that. I'm, I I would wager. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I guess the other thing we to I was gonna say we've skipped around a lot. Like I feel like have. we kind of got gone off of our our nicely outlined plan. Yeah, which is fine. It happens. Well, uh, I did want to make sure that um, you know we mention the fact that you know she gets sort of caught up on what's been going on since she's been asleep. So she learns from the girl who she subsequently beats up and steals the clothes from yeah. that, uh, you know, the the mayor died and the school blew up and, you know, all this stuff's happened and how long it's been and everything. And um, I before we move on, the, speaking of the girl that she beats up or whatever, yeah. it's like, I every time I see this, I always forget that she actually doesn't get killed. <laughs> like, right. like when I when I first watch, like I'm like, oh my god! And then you see like Faith and her clothes walking down the street, and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh! Like she, yeah, she killed her and took her clothes, and that's sort of the. But then later you find out, oh no, she just got pummeled, you know, right. and you're like relieved by the fact that she only got the crap beat out of yeah. her, and is like hospitalized because of it. But I, you know, I. I always find, I mean, I almost said I, I always find that funny. Uh, not funny, haha, obviously, but sort of ironic or not ironic, but I don't know what the right word is. Like, yeah, just that. It gets that you every like, time. That that it gets me every time and that it's, and that you do kind of feel relief that she didn't actually kill her. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but she still like beat the crap out of right. her. So, right. When you know, I'm sure she took her clothes with no trouble. Like. You right. know, it's not like she needed to beat her up, really. Like, so even that is excessive, yeah. but... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so just thought I'd mention that. Um, so, and then I guess, I mean, the other thing she finds out about is, uh, you know, she gets the the tape from the mayor, mm. you know, which yep. is interesting. I don't know that it, it doesn't, like, change my, you know... Uh, it doesn't really tell us a whole lot new about him as a character necessarily, but kind of interesting to know that he seems pretty, like, he knows there's a pretty good shot that he's going down, um, you know, yeah. since he makes this tape. And, like, again, yeah. like like we've talked about and like you said, like, reinforcing that he and Faith did really feel a connection for each other, that he you know, made this tape for her, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing and, like, and knowing that it would only be shown to her if, if he died. He died like, yeah. I, right. And, Whereas and I like, if he, sort of... if he didn't care at all, if you're dead, you're dead. And who cares, you know, but he made right. this in the event that he wouldn't be able to talk to her if that happened. Yeah. I, I know you've been a little more skeptical that, and I've sort of maintained the idea that there is something of a genuine feeling, you know, of the mayor towards faith. Um, and there is a certain cynical reading you could read into this. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's not out of sheer, you know, uh, desire for faith to do well in whatever endeavor he wants her to do. But, you know, also a bit of revenge because, you know, he does have that, hey, go out with a bang. So it might right. be like it's his, you know, 
post, uh, post it's his posthumous insurance plan sure. kind of I, thing. I, you know? That's still my reading of him is he cares about faith when it's convenient for him to do so. And when, as long as that doesn't contradict his own goals. So I think he cares, you know, but I also think I don't have a whole lot of belief in his ability to care when, like, it when it would be, like, an inconvenience, I guess. Which, you know, we never really saw that. So I guess I can't prove that. Like, you know, sure. oh, if those feelings were in conflict, he would betray faith. Like, I don't know that for sure, since that never really happened. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. Who can say, really? But, uh... Um. Not to mention the irony of him saying, you know, telling her to go out with a bang. Uh, right. Yeah, right. He literally yeah. gets blown up. Well, gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh. Well, gosh. Um, <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, I mean, like I said, you can read it cynically, and apparently you choose to do so. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like faith. I assume the worst in people. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I still I still would maintain that there I don't disagree with you that like he definitely is out for numero uno. Like, yeah, and I don't that, and I don't disagree that that doesn't mean he doesn't have actual like, you know, affection for her on some level, you know. So sure. I don't th- know that they're totally contradictory, really. But so 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 maybe we're on opposite sides of fence, but we can still reach across and shake hands. Yeah, we're, I, we're close I think enough. so. All right. All right. So, um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so he gives this device to her. So, and I like how there's sort of like this demon holding it in escrow for him. Like right. who was, who? what demon was trustworthy enough that, or scared enough of right. him in the afterlife, like after he's been blown up yeah. for, you know, a number of months now yeah. that the demon would still have this thing. And, and that she like kills him. She's like, like, thanks, <laughs> thanks thought. for the package snap, you know, and he's just gone. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I wonder like in that moment, if she, does she know like what, if yeah. she really understands, if that's like, just the panic that of is from the mayor, not knowing or, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Or that, hey, this is a demon and I'm a slayer and it's coming up saying it's got something for me. Is this a right. trick or eh, I better not take chances. I'm just going to snap it. Snap. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is it is just kind of funny to think that there's like a demon escrow service out there <laughs> holding it in trust. Yeah. Until she, you know, wakes up from her coma. Right. Right. And like monitoring uh, her, you know, just in case. OK, right. we've got the package ready. Oh, well, speaking of monitoring, we do need to bring up uh, that when she wakes up, there are several parties who are interested in her being awake. Um, One, of course, is the local constabulatory, Mm. uh, the who we've seen. These are sort of the generic cops, although like I think it's the same actors who kind of play them every time. We never, I don't ever, I don't know if we ever actually find out their names or not. If yeah. if we did, I don't remember what they are even as many times as I've seen it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these detectives who, you know, are now looking for faith, and we get you know several sort of run-ins or almost run-ins with with cops. Yeah. Uh, looking for her. Um, yep. The other is this nurse. This nurse, yeah, who makes a mysterious Ooh. phone call. Um, yeah. Which, 
Um, you know, and what does she say? Like, bring in, like, send in the team. Send in a team. Send in yeah. a team. It's um, happened. Send in a team. Right. So, a couple ways. I mean, it's it's after that that Buffy gets a call. You know, so Buffy's on alert too. Like, I guess the ho- the hospital or the police or somebody is like someone. Someone lets her, lets know. her know. But I don't. think think the nurse is talking about the scoobies i don't think they're the team she's alerting it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that to me um so what team could that be could that be like an initiative connection you know a team of mm. like commandos it could be a team of council members i guess it could be a team of i don't know demons i have no idea like this is random nurse we've never seen so um interesting to think we might have like several different teams out looking for faith um yeah yeah i don't know i don't know where to put my money down <laughs> yeah right. mm. well then let's not put any down yet. okay we'll get to it next week oh no it'll be a couple uh. weeks from now sorry <laughs> Uh, That's all right. You you're the one who usually has to suffer through two parters. So I know, and you know, we've we've talked about this before. I like there have been times where you failed to tell me that there were two parters. Yeah, and I failed to inform you of that yeah. this time, this go around, and I legitimately actually forgot that this one was a two parter. And right. it's a really good. It leaves you on a really good yeah, note too. It does. Well, should we talk about that note? Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, so we yes. find out, uh, you know, the, what it is that the little gadget does, um, yeah. which is switch them. So that's an interesting setup. You know, we don't really get a whole lot. Like, I'm sure we're going to have fun with that next week. Um, yeah. Or the actors will have fun with it, and we'll have fun watching right. them. But, um, yeah. That, well, and I like, too, that Faith doesn't know what it's going to do, really. She just sort of uses it, and it's like, yeah. you know. Right. Well, and that's funny, because that just shows the amount of, well, Faith that she has in the in mayor. In the mayor, right? yeah. And her desperation to win, that she'll use something which she has no idea what it's going to do, you know. Yeah. And she's obviously sort of surprised by it. Um, right, but recovers more quickly than Buffy, you know, because at least she right. knows she's doing something, you know. And yep. Buffy's so flustered that she lets her sort of punch her out. So Buffy's going to be in a bit of a pickle next week. Uh, and now she's got like five different teams coming together. <laughs> right. Right. Well, this is this is the this is the thing, right? Because we've got the cops, the cops, we've got the Scoobies, we've got yeah the mysterious team right. that the nurse called in, right. um, and we also have Spike. Right, who said he's going to seek out right. Faith. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. I hadn't so thought of that. So we've got a number of, you know, a number of <laughs> ways that this can all shake down. Right. Um, potentially. And so, yeah, just some, just some really interesting. Right. And then the flip side being, you know, Faith is now walking around looking like Buffy. And what kind of damage can she get up to? You know, um you know, by virtue of Buffy's trustworthiness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that the revealing moment, because you don't know 
when Faith as Buffy punches Buffy as Faith uh, and knocks her down, like you don't know until after that yeah. that it's actually Faith in Buffy's body. And so you get, you know, Joyce asking if she's okay. And you get the signature phrase, yeah, five, you know, five, five by five. Five, uh, what by five which, what? <laughs> you, which is where I was going with that because I love how, like, you get this whole focus you know, sort of right before that, or, you know, a few couple scenes before that, uh, between Willow and Tara Mm -hmm. of explaining how ridiculous this phrase is and why, and of course, then it becomes, that's the thing. It's this ridiculous thing that only fate says, and nobody even really knows what it means and why, why does anyone even say that? Um, that it, it becomes, you know, the signature mark of, yeah, it's what makes it wait, it's what let, lets yeah. us know what happened. That and Sarah Michelle Geller's kind of like creepy little smile at the camera, like her going, yeah. Oh, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> so um way back in in was it season two of Doctor Who where we had uh rose and cassandra and Mm. the doctor all switching back and forth you know or cassandra going back and forth between where we got to see sort of david Tennant being right cassandra and And rose rose playing cassandra or cassandra playing rose in rose's body i remember at the time thinking "Ooh, i can't wait until we get we get you know the switcheroo between yeah uh, Eliza Dushku and Sarah Michelle Gellar playing. Well, and I could kind of see even in just that little smirk of Sarah Michelle Gellar's, you could just hint at that already. Like she's going to have fun with this, you know, like I don't imagine that faith is going to bother being very subtle (laughs) other than maybe, I don't know, you know, I mean, and that'll be interesting to see how far does she try to conceal her identity or how much does she just like let rip and try to destroy Buffy's reputation, you know? Right. right. Um, Well, and so going back to then the discussions of existentialism and looking at oneself through the other, it becomes like even more like, you know, before it was just sort of metaphorically faith, you know, trying to, or sort of seeing herself through Buffy's eyes in a sort of, guessy kind of way but now it's like now there's a physical manifestation of that right so like does that change who she is and how she thinks and feels and does the way people treat her because they might think that she's buffy Mm. affect the things that she does and the ways that she acts and yeah does even what she perceives as the expectations on who Buffy is. Yeah. Uh, change things. Right, because um, we just talked about how her idea of what Buffy is is different than what Buffy actually is. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then take all of those things and apply them appropriately to Buffy as Faith. You know, right. like, is, is there, does how people treat her change the way that she acts? And does, you know, her perception of who Faith is, which I think we probably understand is more accurate than the other way around sure like but still that doesn't mean it's 100 percent accurate yeah you know so like are there are there things there where uh you know buffy may act differently now because she 
is perceived to be Faith right. um, and has her own perceptions of who Faith is and how Faith acts and why she may act the ways that she does. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that that's where... So, like, it's like this whole first half of the story mm. sort of sets all that up now for the second half of the story to be less metaphorical, right. you know, yeah. in that respect yeah. of, you know, seeing yourself through the eyes of another person. Yeah. Um, cool. So it'll be interesting to watch that through. Well, I mean, I've watched it through already, but it'll be interesting to revisit <laughs> It'll be interesting for, for me to watch. And, and to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. Um, well, now that we have five we, minutes to talk about everything else. We should mention Joyce, too, real quick. Oh, yeah. Um, just just that, I mean, one, we haven't seen her no. in a while. And I think we even just talked recently about how we hadn't seen her in a while. Yeah, so. yeah, you kind of said the actress was, you know, busy and, yeah. Yeah, she, for part or most of even of this, like the filming of this season, I think she lived in like Italy or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was, um, she had moved there for a while anyway. So right. that was sort of the practical reason. But then also, you know, just the fact that Buffy's away at college yeah. and, you know, go come home as much and stuff. Yeah. So kind of, kind of nice to see her again. Yeah. And also like, you know, talking about, uh, you know, sort of her faith in her daughter, yeah. which is, kind of come you know 180 degrees from you know season one and two where she's not and then even like season three where she's just kind of like learning Mm -hmm. what Buffy does but isn't really quite completely in the loop and now it's like Buffy's gonna come save me and you know and you even get Faith trying to say like you know oh you're too rosy about it but Mm -hmm. actually no Buffy does come crashing through the window like exactly as described and and does save Joyce, so... Yeah, and just the, like, hi, Mom, hi, honey. Like, there's no, yeah. like, even real need for, like, apologies about how long it took her. Just sort of, well, I knew you'd come, and you did, and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of business as usual. There's no real drama there between them. They just sort of understand right. each other. Right. So, yeah, uh, so good to see her, and good to see that that's how she feels still about Buffy. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know. There's a ton to say about Joyce, but we'll see. We'll see where that goes because it pretty much picks right up where we leave off. Sure. Uh, with her standing next to Faith as Buffy. Right. Okay. Um, um, well, is there anything else about? I feel like we talked a lot about about Buffy. I mean, most of what we yeah. get is sort of her feelings about Faith. Um, yeah, probably just then talking about her and Riley. Yeah. Um, which shouldn't take us, <laughs> hopefully shouldn't no. take us as long. Uh, it shouldn't uh, take us as long. No, I mean, so, you know, he he's released from his hospital. So there's no, like, the whole, like, we're going to break in and rescue him thing doesn't end up having to be done, which is good, but... There's still the question, and Buffy talks about, like, that doesn't mean that the initiative doesn't still have their thumb on him, really. You know, like, what happens if they don't like his behavior? They can maybe modify it, you know, or they can track him, or, you know, what kinds of... Right, they might be spying on him. Spying on him, or controlling, like... They might do that, I don't know if they do that sort of thing, like... Yeah. Anything sort of up for grabs now. So... 
yeah, so just sort of that lingering there in the background, but that he does seem, you know, to to want to help Buffy mostly. Like, that's where his loyalty is, you know, and that mm -hmm. he, she kind of has to talk him out of, you know, helping her with everything. He wants to help, you know, track down Adam yeah. or track down Faith or whatever. Um, right. So he's sort of becoming one of the Scooby gang, really. Yeah, and right, and we get the whole conversation about Buffy and Giles sort of, well, Buffy leaving the council and Giles getting fired from the council and, you know, kind of their parallel there now with Riley, like, and yeah. he's not quite sure. But, yeah, I find it interesting, like, because he, you know, obviously he gets up and leaves sort of the initiative hospital or whatever, but, mm -hmm. like, he didn't, he's not, like, a wall per se. Right, like, no. He, he technically is the boss, so he can leave when he wants, and it's like, he's planning on going back. He hasn't quite, like, made the decision to give it up completely or anything. So, um, sort of a weird transitional yeah. stage for him. Not quite sure. And he even says, like, I'm not good with gray areas. He, yeah. he doesn't like the transitional or the, uh, yeah, you know, interim sort of stuff. He wants to be told where to go, and he wants to know exactly what he's doing and yeah, whose side he's, he's on. And, and yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very like you know, black and white kind of thinking. He prefers to kind of, which we yeah. all do, but like you know, he's not very good at you know straddling the fence. I guess. Yeah. No. Not and and when it comes to making his own decision about what to do, even like in a way like, yeah, he wants to be told what to do or whatever, but there's also sort of a, uh, inertia thing going on there because it's like, this is, you know, he even says like, this is all I know. It's, I was yeah. born basically, I've been groomed, you know, to obey the rules and just be given orders. And that's all I know. And that's not, uh, yeah. Like even the like, you know, and and he you know says that he's gonna go back. You know, I can, you know, I'll go back and, you know, Buffy's like, well, do you you want to be double agent guy? He's like, like that idea is uncomfortable. Yeah. He's like, I'm not, I'm not committing to being a double agent, but I'll tell you the things that I find out sort of, in the normal course of my duties. Like I won't hide anything. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm like. Like, he's uncomfortable thinking of himself as, like, a, a spy, spy right. for that, you know, reason or whatever. Right. Um, even though that kind of is what he is. <laughs> sure. Um, so, or at least what he's agreeing to be, whether he does it or not, we have yet to see. Yeah, he's else. not, I mean, even some of our heroes are, can make peace with doing less than savory things in, you know, if there's like a greater good kind of thing. Riley's not interested in that. He wants his action to always be a hundred percent pure, blameless, you yeah. know, above board. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he might not be totally on the initiative side, but he doesn't really want to spy on them. You know, like yeah. that's getting a little bit too like morally ambiguous. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'll, I'll point out something we talked about last episode, uh, 
which is in his conversations with Buffy and in his conversations with Forrest, again, he seems to be sort of taking the oppositional view. So for a guy who doesn't like gray areas, he also sort of seems to switch from one side to the other, at least in argument. So like Mm -hmm. when he's talking with Forrest, it suddenly becomes a, Oh, are we really family? Are we really like, you know, like, you know, these sorts of things where it's like, he's kind of calling Forrest out for, excuse me. Um, you know, for the sort of mentality that he admits to Buffy that he himself has. So like there, you can definitely see in his own, like it wasn't just the drugs last time, right? Like there, yes, the drugs sort of exacerbated things and made him more unclear about what his direction was, but, but it wasn't just the drugs. These are actually seen like more foundational things that he's having to deal with and doesn't know how to. Yeah. Um, and that's become sort of a cognitive dissonance in his own way of thinking. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, uh, unless we have anything about anything else about Buffy and Riley, um, we get some more Willow and Tara too. Um, yeah. So yeah. we have, Willow further bringing Tara into the fold in a way like you know so we had her kind of ask for her help with the spell um which they were doing for fun but like it was specifically like a spell to help you know the Scoobies last time yeah and so here you know we have her actually helping to look for Faith which you know to me seems like kind of a big deal because she must be telling her a certain amount like there's this psychotic girl that we know who's like really dangerous and who's out here and who could like you know is out to get Buffy and who could beat us up and everything so you have to share a certain amount of information like this isn't just like oh can you help me with this really tricky spell like this like actually Mm -hmm. requires Mm -hmm. a greater level of like sharing I think um, and and based on their conversation, I think even Tara sort of uh, implies that, like, ooh, you're this cool monster mon- Right, fighter. so, like, so and, we've talked about the fact that there are monsters and Willow right. hunts them and everything. Right. So. Um, so, and it's interesting that you, you mentioned that she's bringing Willow, or is bringing Tara into the fold, but at the same token... She's not because right. Tara still hasn't met any of the right. other. Yeah, people. not entirely. Yeah. So and not really like, at all. Just just in kind of. She's bringing the information to Tara, but she's not bringing Tara to you know the group and the Scoobies. Yeah. Um, right. So there there seems to be a hesitation there uh, on Willow's part. I would say just that. Like, why won't she bring... Like, why hasn't she, like, brought Tara to Giles' house to meet everyone kind of thing, you know, and that kind of thing. So, right. I, you know, what what's sort of the hang-up there? Because, like, when... Not that... I mean, obviously, it took a little while for, like, Riley to come into the group, too. But, like, people knew that... Who Riley was. Like, they knew who you know, that Buffy was sort of hanging out with him and whatever, you know what I mean? Like 
we don't get a sense that she wasn't hiding anyone him or, even yeah. knows that Tara exists right. other than Willow. Well, <laughs> you know what and I mean? Tara is more, as far as anybody knew when Buffy started dating Riley, the reason he really wasn't included was because, well, he's an ordinary person and we don't want to shock him with all of this like supernatural stuff. Whereas right. Tara knows about that. So that's not right. really a factor. Um, right. Right. Like, so thinking back to Jenny Callender, when right. it was found out like that she was a techno pagan, it's like, it's oh, like, you oh can well, help. <laughs> yeah. so you already know the vocabulary yeah. to some degree. Like yeah. you can. Yeah. So like, right. Exactly. So if Tara already knows about magic and knows about monsters and, you know, stuff like, mm-hmm. um, seems more of like an Oz thing. Like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Actually. Right. <laughs> Finding out that there's vampires actually makes a lot of things fall into place. Right. Right. Tara seems like she would be like that, like take it in stride, right. which she is. I mean, Willow's telling her about it and Tara accepts it with no problem. So yeah, right. whatever the, and even thinks it's like cool that Willow's this badass, you know? Right. Yeah. Demon and fighter. Tara might have magical knowledge, but she's definitely not badass. You know, like, Right. She's with her little like punches, which look like a donkey paddle and everything. Like, Ooh, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, fighting is not in her repertoire, it would seem. Right. But um, but yeah, Absolutely. I'll be interested to see like when we get more of an insight into Willow's thoughts there because. It's not entirely clear, and it does seem like whatever the hesitation is, it's personal rather than, like, practical. Like, you know, we're not hiding it for any particular reason, but because of something that Willow is stumbling over and finding it difficult to open up about. So. And it could be a number of things, so I'll be interested to see. Yeah, yeah, it's, right, like, I still think back to that whole scene where Willow gets angry when Buffy comes to the bronze with Riley and the gang. Right. I could have brought someone, too. Right. And, and then she's like, well, not that I had anyone to bring, right. but actually you did have someone right. to bring. So, like, why why are you not? Right. It's your fault that you didn't bring her. Yeah. Yeah. and But, like, why are you even embarrassed to say that? Right. Like, what what leads you to be hesitant in that regard, like, I, you know, so, yeah, anyway. Um, I mean, the other thing, the other thing, I guess, quickly about Willow before we move on to is, and this is not new necessarily, but again, contrasting with Buffy's um, always giving Faith another out, Willow does not want to give any no. credit, you know, you know, which is unusual for Willow. Willow's usually the, like, Mm-hmm. one who wants to be sympathetic and understand the plight of the 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 oppressed you know the even the monster who you know you know must have had some reason to act like the monster you know whereas like yeah you know and she'll do that with like the ghosts and the demons and everything and the vampires but interesting that faith who's like a human being you know, who we know has had, like, a difficult life in some ways. Um, Mm. Willow does not feel any sympathy for her and, like, is kind of viciously insulting of her, you know? Like, it's unusual for Willow to say things like that. Like, you know, 
like as soon as you see her just kick her ass like you know and like revels in like the idea of Buffy just like beating the crap out of her um, sure that's an unusually yeah. violent idea for Willow so you yeah. know I don't know why that gets such a rise out of her I guess maybe the betrayal that she was one of them you know who you know turned on them yeah. and you know and personal too because you know faith you know almost killed willow too like there was that time when they were sort of alone together and you know i forget what episode that was now but like just the fact that she had that scary of an experience with her it's sort of like that just and i mean xander too like xander's just focused on who she's out doing you know so like you kind of get the idea that Willow and Xander are mostly thinking about their own experiences with Faith, which is why they're mm-hmm. so, you know, scared of her, I guess. Um. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely there is no love lost between Willow and Faith. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And yeah, I think you're right, even to the point where it it is sort of a reversal of roles between her and Buffy of who needs killing and who needs forgiveness. Yeah. Um, for so for Xander, I don't have a lot really. No, um, I didn't really have much okay. either. Uh, just except for him and Giles and Spike, we can just kind of knock right. all three of them off at once. I think yeah. with their little encounter. <laughs> where Xander and Giles basically tell Spike everything he needs yeah. to know yeah. to betray them. Well, to betray and, them. and you kind of covered Spike earlier with just saying, like, okay, just as we shouldn't be forgetting about Faith, we also shouldn't be forgetting about Spike, just because he, you know... And, and he's, like, annoyed that everyone is now treating him like he's one of the Scoobies. Like, and you feel like there's a little bit of commentary there, like, with the audience. Like, it's, like, you know take away his ability to kill people and people start to love Spike because he's funny and yeah. charming and and yeah. and if he's not killing people we can love him without feeling like conflicted about that whereas like Spike is like so offended by this like can you all remember like I'm one of the bad guys and yeah. I I actually don't I like you, you. yeah I actually <laughs> yeah. kind of hate you and I can't hurt you directly but I can hurt you indirectly so yeah. 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 So the he's might be out there looking to yeah. team up with somebody else who could actually hurt them or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and I I like how he sort of he he plays it up too. Like, oh really? You know, tell me tell me tell what's me going more. on. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go find her and tell her exactly where you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I love that moment in Xander. Yeah. It's just like. Yeah, you kind of are. Yeah. And, like, Giles just kind of looks at him, but it's like, dude, you were right there giving it to him, yep. you know, the information as well. Yeah. So, it's both of your faults. But, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff all around. But, uh, clearly, I mean, most of this episode is Faith and Buffy, so I don't think it's inappropriate that we spent a lot of time talking about them. Yeah. Um, and we'll see how that all plays out in... Two weeks when we yeah. come back oh, to right. uh, when we come back to this. So, okay. um, although I say that, 
remember now, this is, you know, we're, we're again where we have um, Buffy and Angel airing back-to-back uh, on the same network. So it wouldn't be entirely inappropriate to think that there might be some bleed over from one to the other, even though it might not be a true crossover story that there might be effects of things happening. Sure. Uh, that affect one or the other. So hmm. not promising that there are, maybe there isn't. Right. I could be, it could be total red herring right now. I'm just saying that might be the case. Okay. <laughs> On to Dr. Who. We'll see. All right. Yes. So I wanted to talk first about Amy. Okay. And then you asked Again, me which Amy shocker. And, I, and then, I know, right? We've never done that before. Yeah. Uh, and then you asked me which Amy, to which I wisely replied, well, the first Amy, yeah. of course. And then you... Which one's Amy 1? Appropriately said, yeah. which is the first one. Uh, no, I wanted to talk about, and I hate to use this reference, but I don't know a better one. But I want to talk about old Amy first. Uh, I mean, I don't... Like, I just hate that that's the defining factor, right? Is her age. Right. Um, Because it is Amy. Yeah. But that's part of what I want to talk about is, like, is it really Amy? Right. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, that's... And I think that the story prompts us to consider that question of who... Who is the real Amy, and is either one of them less real than the other or or not? Right. Um, So, I want to first talk about not so much the character, but the way she looks, um, which is, again, probably just because I'm a misogynist, and (laughs) that's all that women are good for, right? Right. No, of course not. But I do want to say that typically in um, stories like this, where you have a younger actor or actress playing uh someone who's older uh the makeup is terrible yeah (laughs) and the the way they make it look is typically pretty bad um you know the aging and all of that like they just and you know not that i'm saying i could do any better i certainly can't i also don't make a living of trying to make it look better so i feel like there's certain justification sure Um, yeah that doesn't mean your observation isn't correct just because you couldn't do it (laughs) better yeah um so the the you know there are examples that i can think of that sort of come to me um one of them which I sort of dismissed immediately because it's more CGI than anything is of course right within Doctor Who where we see the 10th Doctor sort of age you know hundreds of years or whatever by the master Um, so okay that's fine that's not like real makeup and stuff that's kind of you you expect like with CGI it's just never going to look that great Um, but like I also think of like the movie Click uh, with Adam Sandler have you seen that one? okay where sort of at the end he's they make him up as an old older person and it's just not that good. The one that left um, to my mind was the end of the Harry Potter series. Um Yeah, and I, I think you too, mentioned that, yeah. And I think too it's harder with really young actors. Like sometimes yeah. if you're like a fifty year old playing a seventy or eighty year old, you can get away with it a little bit sure. more. 
but like yeah. th- you know they looked and like the that ending's fine but like they looked like a bunch of 19 year olds in like graying wigs like you know you can kind of put a, a few like crow's feet on yeah. them but and like a pillow in your yeah for a but like belly, you know, know you're you're still basically 19. Like, there's something, yeah. like, you haven't finished maturing yet that is, no makeup is going to cover that. And right. that's a danger with Amy here, because Karen Gillan is very young. Like, she's in her early 20s. Early 20s, You know, yeah. like, I think she started it when she was, like, 21 or 22. So she's probably only, like, 23, maybe 24 at this point, if that. Yeah. So, yeah. You have well, kind of a risk thing. having playing her aged this far up. That's the other thing I was trying to figure out is exactly what age is she supposed to be. So I guess that would put her at like max 60. Right. Like, yeah. you know, late 50s, probably right. closer. Yeah. Um, so my whole point in saying this is that I actually thought they did pretty well yeah. with her makeup in this one. Um, and there's a, there's a few moments. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. Of course. And we don't, we won't know until Karen Gillan is 60 years old exactly how, how she's going to look. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I guess at that point, if anyone cares to, they could go back and look and see, oh, did they do a good job or not? But will it really matter? Because I'm sure techniques and, and products and all that will have changed significantly right. in the next 36 years or whatever. Um, but the... The point, my whole point was that I actually thought, especially with like the close ups and stuff, yeah. that they did a really good job. And even though there might be one or two like odd moments where she looks a little stiff or a little, mm-hmm. you know, not as expressive as as maybe she should be, like typically, like you, I mean, you know me well enough to know that there are certain things we were talking right before we started, uh, you know, the, the recording here that, um, in Grace Point, mm. the, uh, U.S. version of Broadchurch, uh, I wasn't entirely thrilled with David Tennant's right. American accent. Um, and so there, you know, everyone has their certain things that bother them. Bad makeup and bad accents are two things that sort of I pick up on, uh-huh. uh, you know, more than maybe other things. Um, you know, so knowing sure, that about myself, knowing that about myself, I, I, I noticed the job that they did and thought i you know, as I was watching it the first time thought I actually, that's really good. Like, yeah, I, I think they actually captured pretty well. Yeah. She's as not... well as you can an extrapolation of how she would look. And it's not, it's not overboard. It's not right. like, 36 years and they made her look like she was 90. No, it's like and she's it's not, not hidden behind it. You can still see that it's, it's her, you know. Um and it's not understated. But I think I think so the there's a quote and I gosh, I can't remember who it is. Like I think I want to say it's like a famous artist like I don't know, not Michelangelo but maybe <laughs> something like that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like where there's a quote of like you know seeing true beauty uh you know, has to do not, not so, this is a terrible rendition of this quote. It's not this worded this way exactly at all, but you know, like seeing true beauty, isn't like seeing the little girl, you know, the old woman and the little girl and you know what she'll become, but it's seeing the little girl and the old woman kind of thing. And like, I think they sort of were able to capture that idea of, 
you know, seeing who really Amy is inside without, you know, regardless of age, you know, it's not just about her, uh, the way she looks per se, but it's the way she acts. And that's really kind of what this whole episode is about. So, you know, when you think of like the interactions with her and Rory, um, in particular, that's and and we, it's interesting because we were talking to before we started the podcast about how this episode really only has three characters, mm. although one of them's repeated once. <laughs> so, like, right. I guess four characters, but right. you know, sort of two versions of one uh, of those characters. And like, there's no real. I mean, the the robots are kind of like monsters, but they're just sort of on autopilot. They're not like it's not like Cybermen with a master plan kind of thing. Right. It's just like they're right. da, 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 marching around. We have to inoculate you. Da, da, da. Right. Like, it's, it's they're not, not monsters. It's the kind of yeah. glitchy technology that you have to outwit right. and everything. Yeah. 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 Right. It's no different than yeah, like a ship that has been you know abandoned and yeah, you know, put on autopilot or whatever. So. Um, so there's really the only characters are the doctor, Amy, Amy, and Rory, <laughs> uh, um, and so uh, you know, in thinking about like how you know that idea of that, um, you know, it's it's sort of the the true person you are inside. You know, it's interesting that in, in their reactions and interactions with Rory, um, you know, the two Amys like don't really change Mm. in their reactions to him. Um, And then, of course, you know, Rory uh, admirably, and maybe because it's the only way he knows how to be, but, you know, like, that's sort of what's admirable about about it. Like, just accepts the elder Amy uh, completely as Amy. Like, it's, you know, like his whole, you know, statement of, it's I don't care that you grew old it's that I didn't grow old with you yeah. like you know that that's the expectation and not that like there's no not that he's not romantic but there but it's not like a naive romance right, right. like he knows that they're going to get old yeah and he wants to be old with her yeah. and 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 grow old with her and experience those things together and that's the thing that he misses not he doesn't miss her youth he doesn't miss you know, even, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what else, like, you might want to put in there that he doesn't miss, but, like, it's the fact that they weren't together for all those years, and even, and, like, you know, we've talked about his sort of being a nurse and having sort of a certain empathy there, but, Mm -hmm. like, that he can extrapolate that, even though for him it's actually not been that long, you know. Yeah a few minutes or an hour or whatever. Like it, it hasn't been that long for him, but he, he still regrets the fact that even though it wasn't that long for him, he understands how long it was for her. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how much it, not, it did. I'm surprised it didn't come up at all mm. about his whole waiting 2000 years. Sure. You know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. I, I, um, I know I've seen, there are, I've certainly seen that before that people kind of a little take a little bit of umbrage at the fact that Amy makes such a big deal out of 36 years compared to Rory's, you know, yeah, 2000. I mean, 
you know, I mean, I there's a few different ways you could go. Like, perhaps I don't. Rory, I wasn't. You know, is sorry. Go ahead. Like, I, I I wasn't, and I wasn't saying that to try to like knock on it. Yeah. Because like, that didn't bother me at all that they didn't bring it up. Yeah. It was just sort of a oh they didn't actually bring that up. I kind of thought they might address that. Well, but. and and I mean, I think it's implicit because I think. And I want to respond to the quote you said, too, because I think, you know, that is one of, you know, Amy and Rory's themes as characters is the waiting, you know, like she yeah, starts yeah. out as the girl who waited. Um, and then he's the boy and then who he's waited. the boy who waited for 2000 years and everything. So there's like that that is sort of their defining, you know, thing as a as a pair of companions you know like each each companion has like a certain you know couple like little themes that sort of like make sure. them different and that seems to be their thing is waiting you know and both you know the good reasons for that and the bad and the you know yeah. it, it can be a happy thing and a sad thing or whatever but that's sort of their their little handle that keeps coming back um the other thing which the quote you said I thought was interesting was that, um, you know, I think specifically for, for Amy, too, and also Rory, the other kind of big thing which has to do with the waiting is, you know, because we meet Amy as the little girl and in advance, you know, her other big thing which we keep coming back to is this concept of aging, you know, and you know, when it, she's a little girl to a young woman that is, like, growing up, you know, so it becomes, like, the Peter Pan thing of, like, you know, oh, you know, I grew up, well, I'll fix that, you know, like, you know, almost kind of, like, fleeing from the responsibilities of, like, adulthood and, you know, hesitating over her wedding and then, like, finally embracing that. Um, but now, as we get into their second years, the Companions, that changes from growing up to growing old you know like now it's about okay you have the marriage and it's about their you know kind of a unconventional pregnancy but a pregnancy nonetheless you know that they are settled down and they have you know a child and now you kind of get an exploration in this episode of you know growing old and you know not that old like you said like Amy's it's not like Amy's like you know, you know, aged into like near death or anything, but still kind of hinting at that idea of um, that being a thing which is always happening to you. You're always growing and you're changing. And at a certain point, you stop growing up and you start growing old, you know? Um, mm. So I think it's interesting to see how that theme shifts you know, as they get slightly older. Um, the other thing, too, which, you know, that quote made me think of was Amy's speech to Rory, or speech about Rory, about how he's the most beautiful man that she knows and how he yeah. seems kind of plain on the outside, but once you kind of yeah. get to know him, I guess, to use the cliche, right. he transforms and becomes beautiful he, because of who he is and he grows into his face yeah. yeah his personality takes over yeah yeah so um, you know that that's appropriate too that just as rory can see the amy inside you know 
old Amy who looks different and who might, you know, like you could imagine that she doesn't look the way he would want her to look. But to him, he can see Amy inside of her, even though she looks different. You know, there's also the kind of flip side, which is Amy can see the real Rory that she loves, you know, inside someone who isn't unattractive, but isn't necessarily like, you know, gonna swagger in and like, you know, yeah. be the center of attention either. Um, yeah. So I found, I actually found the quote that I was thinking. Uh, of. It wasn't an, it, I mean, it wasn't an artist, a, a visual artist who said it. It was actually a Robert Heinlein quote, which uh, I should have <laughs> known right off. Um, should have known. From, I be, I want to say it's from Stranger in a Strange Land, but um, I it, it's not listed here. So the the actual quote, the I mangled it terribly, uh-huh. uh, goes, uh, anybody can look at a pretty girl and see a pretty girl. An artist can look at a pretty girl and see the old woman she will become. A better artist can look at an old woman and see the pretty girl that she used to be. But a great artist, a master, and this is what Auguste Rodin was, can look at an old woman portray her exactly as she is and force the viewer to see the pretty girl she used to be. And more than that, he can make anyone see that this lovely young girl is still alive, not old and ugly at all, but simply prisoned inside a ruined body. That could kind of be the quote of the episode, couldn't it? Like, like it's almost like if this were a novel, that would be like the, the epigram at the beginning or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's exactly what I was thinking of, and you know, throughout portions of this episode, was that I was thinking of that quote. I just couldn't remember what the exact quote was or who said it, uh, but it makes sense that I would remember it, given that it's timeline. timeline yeah. It's like my favorite writer. <laughs> but um, just, just that, yeah, just that idea of that, and and I think people do tend to sort of think of themselves and you know, little girl is, you know, maybe here, there, you know, some people, I I think everyone sort of has that age where after a certain point, they always sort of consider themselves in sort of that same age. I'm perpetually, I'm perpetually 18. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I, it's just like your, what you think of as your level of like maturity or capability or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I, I would say that I'm probably, you know, I'm in that, sort of undergrad age mentally sort of myself as well. So maybe that's why we get along so well, (laughs) but um, you know, I, I do think that there's that idea, but yeah, like that there's this, there's this tendency of people to think, you know, that at certain stages of life, you have to act certain ways and maybe to a certain extent people do, but there's also a truth of that. Like you're not ever in at any you're not defined by that age of who you are, but that there's something uniquely you at every age. And that, that this episode is sort of, you know, looking at that and saying, you know, at these two specific ages that Amy, you know, as we see her, like she's still Amy and she's still everything that is Amy and it's there's not something missing or lost about her and there's not something added to her um other than maybe some experience experience. yeah yeah um but that doesn't change man this goes great with the last episode I wasn't thinking of it in this way but like there's a certain point where they each 
you know, they see each other and have to, you know, like through the magnifying glass sort of look at the other person through, you know, her own eyes mm-hmm. kind of thing in the same kind of way that we were talking about Faith and Buffy yeah. looking, yeah. you know, at, at, you know, from the perspective of the other. So, yeah. um, man, I didn't even really think about that until just now, but I think that works out really well. Yeah. So, uh, Anyway, I, you know, I don't know that I want to belabor that point at all, but I mean, it's such a big part of the episode that, yeah. that. No, I think, I, I mean, I think, uh, this is given the title, the girl who waited and the focus on Amy, you know, and Rory as a slightly secondary to her, but like right up there in like mm-hmm. importance and everything. This is like, I'm not saying like, this is the culmination, like that's not to spoil anything like to say that we're done with their story necessarily. But I think this is like the big bringing all the pond themes together in one episode kind of thing. Like it's Mm -hmm. about waiting. It's about growing old. It's about that, you know, either persistent faith in the doctor or maybe slightly shattered faith in the doctor. Like all of these kind of pond themes, um, you know, uh, starting to sort of come together um into one episode i think yeah yeah um and i i just love that so not to negate everything that we just said yeah but there is though the sense that old amy has lost something in a way um but not until the very end like i don't think you get that until you see him until she sees him carrying young Amy mm-hmm. uh, into the, you know, after she gets uh, anesthetized by the handbots. Yeah. And, you know, he's carrying her away. Uh, and of course, you know, then the doctor shuts the door and then there, Amy's on the outside and, and she says to him, um, you know, I'd forgotten how much I loved being her. Mm. Not not being me, not being young. Right, me, that's like the only time where they talk her. about each other is like separate. Um, Amy Pond in the TARDIS with Rory Williams. Like, you know, that that there's that and and not that that's the only spot in the entire episode, but that there is this sort of cosmic significance of those three things together. Yeah. Amy Pond in the TARDIS with Rory Williams. Like that there's this recipe so sort of yeah. you know and that when all those ingredients are together that those were the times those were the good times and there's there's uh a nostalgia a sad nostalgia yeah. to that mm-hmm. you know like in that moment of course like i think that's what we're getting because there is i think with growing old there is that fear of losing something that you really loved and not only losing it but forgetting Mm. what it was that you lost you know like there's um oh man i was listening to a podcast oh it was the pen pen gillette podcast Mm -hmm. uh pen sunday school and he uh so this is pen of pen and teller right he does a weekly podcast and he was talking about like um just that idea of like if you could have for one day the greatest you know experience of your life but then after that day you would never remember it would is that something you want to do and most people would say yeah because 
in the moment you're still experiencing it yeah and you're still having that but then if you flip the question around what about if you had the worst day of pain and hunger and agony and whatever but to the same degree you afterwards you would never remember it would you want to do that mm. and you're like well no <laughs> why yeah. would you want to do that but it's like but sort of the same principle applies. You wouldn't remember it afterwards. So, like, right. what would be the difference of doing right. it? And so, right. so if that applies we, to the bad thing, why shouldn't that apply to the good thing? Yeah. yeah. So, like, like there is that. But like, but I think there is that. That is such a human fear of having these good experiences, but then losing them mm. and not remembering them. And that there's like that's I think one of those things where like so many people try to latch on to the things that they perceive as good yeah. and in the end like end up sort of maybe even ruining them because they latch onto them so hard and won't let them go and just experience that you know it's like that it, it's that mantra of just live in the moment but so many people can't live in the moment because they're afraid that the moment they're living in is going to not exist anymore right which is it's a solid fear because it won't like every moment passes so right. it's not that that's an, an irrational fear it's actually extremely rational, but to be focused on it is to lose the moment and not be able to experience what you're experiencing. And I think that's kind of... If that makes sense. That that sentence was terrible, <laughs> but I think you get the gist of what I'm trying to say. I think that's kind of at the root of Amy's um, reluctance for most of the episode to let the doctor and Rory go back and save her young self yeah. is there's something, even though she's, you can't say she's happy to have lived, you know, these 30 years by herself. Like she's clearly been extremely lonely. She's angry. She's very bitter about it. Like there's nothing about it that suggests that this is preferable, you know, to a life in the TARDIS. Like, cause she just said those were the good times. You know, this isn't even kind of good. This is, like, awful, like, isolation and, like, despair. You know, so, given that, why is she fight so hard against, you know, letting them just go back and rewrite the history? And I think that has to be it. That, like, there's something about the fact that, good or not, this is her life. This is the way things went. And there's something terrifying about just forgetting that and rewriting it. Like, even in her, you know, loneliness and misery and anger, that's preferable to just, you know, negating it all as if it never happened. You know, like, mm -hmm. there's something that, you know, you know, we cling to our memories, you know, and, you know, and, and in some ways should, because that's how we learn, you know, and, um, you know, it, that's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but I think that's a very human thing to kind of, like, you know, even though there's no real reason why she shouldn't want this to happen, she just can't, because this is how, yeah. this is how it happened, and it's too late, and there's something wrong about just going back and doing a do-over, you know, um, which is interesting, you know, like that's kind of an unexpected route for it to take. I think that like, she's so sort of belligerent to that idea. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, and it it's like there is that. I think I think somewhat knee jerk, but also probably there's a there's a economic concept called opportunity cost, which is the the idea of you know choosing one thing means that you then can't choose something else, right? Like that there's, that there's, um, and there's also a thing called sort of the sunk cost fallacy and those, uh, which is I've already put $10 into it. If I put 10 more dollars into it, I'm gonna, it'll be better because then I won't have completely lost that money, but then you may just end up losing that other $10 too. And it's, you know, so you keep going, keep digging your hole deeper and deeper. yeah. Yeah. Sort of the extreme, case of that is the gambler like well just one more chip and if i win this one i'll win all my money back and of course you lose that chip well just one more after that one more so like you know you keep doing that and that applies in all various scenarios but i think um you know so thinking of those two things together like you know the opportunity cost here for um for amy is you know well if I let them go back and get that other Amy, then I can't go experience all of the great things of the TARDIS, which is something that I can say I'm mad at the doctor, but really, I mean, what does she say she's going to do if she can go back with Rory and young Amy? Go traveling. I'm going to go traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So like, so that's, that's clear. Like the opportunity cost is all of the things that I won't be able to do. Yeah. Um, This, the sunk cost here is, that I've spent all of this time, you know, 36 years putting into this. I'm not, you know, if I can just do something a little more that isn't quite allowed by the time space continuum, but like, you know, I'm going to sort of try to cheat it a little bit here and figure out a way to get around that. And if I can do that, then all of that 36 years that I've, wasted and lost right. will will have meant maybe something. make sense yeah. yeah will have meant something and both of those are fallacies like right. those are both you know pretty clear you know sort of ways that you're not supposed to look at things um or i mean maybe maybe not supposed to is harsh but like at least that if you are looking at things in those ways then you're losing sight of sort of the real yeah. thing that you that maybe would give a better view of what's actually going on. Right. Um, anyway, so like, like, yeah, I think like, and, and of course that was, I, I sort of fail. I think you made the connection better than I did in telling the, the, the whole scenario from the Penn's Sunday school podcast of, of that. Yeah. Like this is the, you know, the idea of her just ceasing to exist. It's like, why would like if you had such a crappy life why wouldn't you want it to just not have been you know what right. i mean like and not and and not even not even like my life was crappy so i'm going to end it like in a suicidal way but it could actually right. be rewritten so that you never had a crappy life in the first place right. like there's right. something like that's the most you know optimistic escapist thing you could possibly think of you know, mm-hmm. all the sad things come untrue kind of thinking, you know. Um, but, you know, there's something about having lived your life in all of its fun and all of its 
awfulness that you're reluctant to let go of, you know, because yeah. for this Amy, that would be kind of like a suicide and it would, she will not be there anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I, and, and sure. And that's a reason. Like, I mean, I think just that idea, like there, it's one thing, you know, a lot of people are scared of death or at least apprehensive about it. It's another thing, like, to think, like, I will never have existed right. and I will not have ever had any impact on the world, or at least from this point in time right. forward, right. I will Which not Which is have like, had. I never thought of it this way, but that's another great connection to Rory. So now both Rory and Amy have been erased from time in a way. Uh, yeah. You know? In one sense in or another. In one sense yeah. or another. And we're still. You know, but as the doctor says, you know, nothing is ever forgotten wholly. Like, there's still a memory which lingers at the end, you know, but so it's not a totally hopeless, like, I think Doctor Who's never really going to be nihilistic, but there's still that sense of they both had that experience, um, mm -hmm. which is another yeah. thing they have in common. I never really thought of that, about that before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, very, you, you can get very like deep and philo philosophical yeah. <laughs> into some of this stuff like pretty quickly. Like, yeah. Well, um, and especially this episode, like you said, like there's no, there's yeah. no other secondary characters. There's really no monsters to speak of. The setting is pretty much just on autopilot, literally. So yeah. there's like nothing for the characters to do other than like, stand around Interact and, and philosophize other. at each other you know <laughs> yeah yeah which um, is great i mean i have no complaints that makes for a great episode but so talking and this might be telling of my own psyche i i labeled the two characters perhaps wrongly uh or shamefully mm -hmm. in in my own notes as old amy and amy okay um, i did old amy not, and young amy so i'm even yeah worse. But, well but i feel like at least that it's like like i almost labeled it like the real amy oh. and the other amy like you know what i mean like, young amy is amy one and yeah, yeah like there's amy and then there's old amy. Right, right like you know i didn't necessarily mean it that way but i also started my notes with just there being one amy so i started with amy and then it was 36 years later, and I'm like, well, I have to differentiate because but there are two of these. But ones. it's weird, too, because, and that shows you kind of how abstract all this stuff is, you know, and how they do a good job of having them both feel like Amy, because even though reason tells you that clearly young Amy is our heroine, she's the primary Amy, she's the one we know, she's the one that gets saved at the end, I feel like old Amy's the main character, you know, like... It's oh, she's yeah. to me in like, a lot of ways she is. She's the one making the choices and decisions, and in a way, if either of them is slightly more real, it's almost her because she actually goes through all those experiences, and it's not until the doctor pulls young Amy forward that they can really like, you know, that that's a new timeline that's being made, you know. Actually, and it's even before that because the timeline is actually made when Rory holds up the magnifying glass for the two Amy's to see each other. Yeah. Um, that's where there's a split. I right. think that occurs. Right. And from that point on young Amy actually, it's funny because the doctor 
says several times, calls young Amy our Amy. Mm. I don't think... I wasn't paying attention close enough. I don't think Rory ever says that no. about either Amy. No. I don't think he ever uses the term our or my Amy yeah. about either one of right. them. He does say at one point, kind of, you know, humorously, my wife or my wife. Like, right, you right. know, like... But that's like, emphasizing but both, their sameness, yeah. Right, he's referring to both of them with that, you know, right. genitive my. Right. Like, it, it's their both of them have that relationship to himself. It's not one or the other. Um, we do get, and I, I feel like this isn't like a true, like, I kind of feel like the whole older Amy flirting with him Mm -hmm. is just kind of thrown in there for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do get him being uncomfortable with that and sort of like implying that she shouldn't be doing that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know, maybe, maybe we do sort of get a shift in his thought, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. towards the younger Amy when right. she appears and is kind of like there physically. And then of course he picks her up, but then also like she needs picking up because she got right. knocked out. So like the other Amy doesn't need picking up. So of course, why would he not pick her? Yeah. Up and there the is a one? tiny little shift there. Cause it's not until he thinks that they can get them both out that, that, that mm-hmm. he starts to make that distinction. Like even if right. it's a slight distinction, you know, he's willing up until then to rescue either Amy. Like, it's it's not like he rejects her because of her age. So he's inclusive of her. And then he wants them both to come, too. Mm-hmm. So, but... <laughs> Can that work? I don't know what you're <laughs> <laughs> You always wish there was two of you for Christmas. But, uh, yeah. but, but as soon as... As soon as it's clear that, or not, it's not clear, but as soon as Rory thinks that they're both going to get out, he does start to show slight preferences for the younger Amy, you know, like, you know, whether it's like, you know, slightly uncomfortable with the flirting or, you know, I mean, yeah, he does rescue young Amy because she needs it, but also like just the sense of sticking closer to her and maybe taking care of her a little bit more. I mean, older Amy is also more capable in terms of the fighting. So that, again, that kind of makes sense. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you could read it as, you know, and it's hard to blame him for that too much, though, you know, because it's like, well, this is the Amy he knows. They are the same age. You know, of course, if they both escape, he's going to continue living with her and not, you know, the older Amy and everyone and, seems to accept that, you know? Yeah. I was going to say like, that's the, the older Amy seems to right. She's the one who says, well, I'll go off track. Yeah. I'm not like, going to live with she you. She seems okay yeah. with not. I'm not going to cramp your style. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, at least that's what she's saying right. in, in that moment. So, right. um, and you know, I mean, and she has been on her own for 36 years. Right. So like she may not want to, shack up with a young 20 something and maybe she does but you know what i mean like that's (laughs) not that doesn't seem like her yeah and but she seems okay with going off on her own too you know and more so than the like even more than the flirting bringing some humor into it i see that as an indicator of her warming up that some of the Mm. old cocky flirty you know amy is coming back that we know like Mm -hmm. she's a bit more hope 
you know, before it's dashed. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just that, that subtle little indicator that, like, she's losing some of the, like, defensive bitterness that she's been have. Like, where, like, she doesn't really want the Doctor or Rory to treat her like, you know, that this is fun or that this is, like, any nothing's changed mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, like... That's what it suggests to me is like Amy's starting to think I might get out of this, you know, and she's maybe having fun a little bit again. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And then the doctor yeah. just ruins it. Yeah. Which I don't know. Maybe we can wait till we maybe we should finish with the Amy's before we talk about the doctor, but well, I, so the only, the only thing, so, and, and just drawing the connection there is, I think you're right. Like it's, it's kind of when the Amy comes back or it might even be like the thing that they do to bring the two Amy's together, which is remember the first kiss with Roy right. that sort of triggers that. Like, I, I mean, it's hard to say cause we don't, it's not like old Amy says, Oh, this thing that happened triggered my memories of, you know, who I used to be, and so I'm going to act this way now. Yeah. We don't get it that clearly. Right. But but I do think you're right. Like there is there is a certain warming up um that happens throughout that culminates in that moment that I referred to earlier of her, you know, at the door saying, I forgot how much yeah. I loved being her. Like that there's a process of her remembering up to that point, and it's about being with Rory and about being in the TARDIS. And realizing from afar exactly what's going to happen when the doctor sees her she knows the minute they lock eyes she knows that he's going to shut the door on her and it's that like that overcomes any other hesitation she had had before right yeah. it's like in that moment if we're talking about you know being in the moment in that moment she definitely realizes that she wants and and not that we like i mean she she had been saying all along like i don't want to cease to exist yeah but like now this is the you know at any cost i want to keep going mm. and realizes that's not that like possible. mad dash for the door you yeah. know yeah yeah um you know i'd forgotten how much you loved me i'd forgotten how much i loved being her like you know there's a nice little parallelism to that mm -hmm. um and so, so I think you're right. Like that's that's sort of awakened in her, mm -hmm. you know, by something. Either the memories of their first kiss, or the you know seeing Amy and how they sort of interact. Yeah. Her and Rory interact together um, because there is, you do get a few glances from time to time, right? Like when they're reunited and they're hugging and you know this and that. But, yeah. Um, but it is kind of funny because there is there is a sense in which the elder Amy is quote, the real Amy. Right. Um, or at least the original one. And that the one they, that the young, younger Amy that they bring back is the, the branch off Amy, yeah. you know, like that she's sort of in a different timeline or, or created by it, not created, but like, I don't, I don't know what the right word is for that, but like, yeah, whatever you know She's, that development of a new timeline right. that it's that she becomes actually a different amy but yet that's the amy like to her it doesn't feel like she's different because it's just what happens right, right. But, but that it's not the amy 
who experienced all of you know those 36 years waiting for the doctor yeah and like she only exists because the older amy made the choices that she did you know like so logically that means the older amy had to be first in a way like because it's her decision to say you know i'm gonna blow time apart for you like you know Mm -hmm. paradoxes be damned this is what i'm gonna do and you know it's because of that that they're able to rescue the younger amy so you know she is kind of the consequence of that in a way which is weird when you think about it (laughs) like yeah no it definitely like almost as weird as as realizing i mean this is the kind of second time this season we've had the not you know again not to like say that amy's not real but like when you think of like the the ganger amy like this is the second time in a season Mm -hmm. where we've had not quite the real amy in you know the tardis and this time kind of permanent like you know that that timeline's not gonna you know gonna get changed this is now the one we're sticking with um and it's a a blatantly rewritten one um so yeah i mean we've had that before like time being like i think of like in Last of the Time Lords, where it's clear that time is rewritten, but for the people on the Valiant at sort of the eye of the storm, they still have all their memories and nothing really changes because the time is just sort of, they don't switch timelines, they just have all those, you know, consequences sort of erased. Whereas like here, we're actually getting like a new timeline, which is supplanting an old one. So, um, which I like. Yeah. Some people complain about Moffat's willingness to kind of rewrite time and have those kinds of paradoxes. And sometimes I guess you can argue whether or not it's always done well. I really like this one because I feel like with you spend so much time on the consequences of that. You know, like you never feel like this is easy you know, that you're really aware of the cost to Amy the whole time. Um, So I feel like it kind of, it doesn't feel like just a reset button because you're aware of like all the like suffering that she had to go through and that this is difficult and, you know, and that the doctor's kind of a bastard for doing this. So, um, you know, I feel like this episode really like, you know, as far as like stories where time does get rewritten, I think this one works really well. Yeah, no, I, I do think it works pretty well. Um, so speaking of the doctor being a bastard, yeah, let's, let's talk, talk about, about that. that. Rule number one. Yeah, yeah, I know. The doctor lies. Yeah. Um, and lest you forget it. I'd never, this might just be my own cynicism uh-huh. rather than like a failure of suspension of disbelief okay. or, or whatever you want to call it, um, a failure to enter the secondary uh-huh. world. Uh, I never really thought that 
we would have two Amy's indefinitely. Right. But I wasn't a hundred percent sure of that. Sure. You know what I mean? So like there was definitely some doubt yeah. in my mind as to whether whether or not they would successfully bring both Amy's into the TARDIS. Yeah. Um un- until the doctor's standing at the door looking out and he has his hand on the handle yeah. and you know he's gonna and shut you it. know he's gonna shut um, it. And I have a distinct memory of like watching this for the first time and like shouting at the TV like yeah the horror like, of it you know yeah. he's gonna do it and you're like oh god if you do that I swear and you're like of course he goes and does it like of course he's gonna of do course it. he's gonna yeah. do it um um so rule number one. Yeah, which actually, Dr. I, I mean, that's I, I, exactly what I thought of was was that. And and especially when Amy's I always think of it uh, or I did this last time when Amy was talking about, you know, what she learned from the doctor, you know, which is like plenty cynical on its own. Like, you know, no one's coming for you, you know, and, yeah, and part of it, and, you know, and and that's to me, though, that's. That's not really what she learned from the doctor. It's what she learned from her experience of being abandoned on Appalachia. Right, right. Right. Ooh, I said that. Right. Well, and, um, and that's what he says. It's like, really? Really? That's yeah. all I taught you? But what I'm thinking is the number one lesson is the doctor lies. Yeah. That's what you should be thinking. And when he tells you he can do this, you mm. know, you have some cause yeah. to doubt. Um. But I would say, I would argue, I'll make this argument, yeah. or assertion anyway, I don't know how well argued it'll be, <laughs> I'll make the assertion that that's not actually the most heinous thing he does. <laughs> okay. Uh, in this episode. All right. What's the most heinous but it's, thing? <laughs> it's, it's the indictment that Rory gives them of, you're turning me into you. Mm. Uh, and... And so there's this um, moment, right, of, and not that it, like, this. the thing is, like, and this is why I'm saying assertion, because I'm not, I don't know how it can, you can necessarily make it an argument. Okay. I don't know that there's enough there to make it a full-on argument. But in one respect, like, the doctor, I mean, the doctor didn't do anything to cause the situation, certainly. If anything, it was Rory's fault for being not clear enough about which button to push, you know, that started the whole chain of events. Yeah, as long as we're assigning um, blame, yeah. Like, if we are to assign blame. But when, you know, when you get down to it and the doctor lying and, you know, whatever. And you can argue that the doctor lied because he had to. And right. Otherwise, neither Amy would have been ever made it back to the TARDIS. Right. And Rory might not have either. And then... yeah. Whoops, well, now I'm suddenly without companions. Yeah, no, and, and I think there's a good more. argument. to As um, much as he acts yeah, coldly, you know, he also yeah. is, you know, kind of having to if he's going to rescue them at all. Um, um, but I think forcing Rory to be the one to make the decision. Putting it on him, is, yeah. Is, is ultimately perhaps the most heinous act that he does. Yeah, that um, really... I, and I, I, I'm obviously making this sort of tongue-in-cheek, but I do think that that's... Like, I think Rory's exactly right. It's like the doctor isn't taking responsibility, and maybe it's not his responsibility to take, 
but by telling Rory that he's the one who ultimately has to choose. There is a certain sense of, but isn't that the doctor's role? Mm. Like in all of the stories that we've, isn't it the doctor who always says, I'm the one who can save, or I'm the one who makes that decision, not you, not whatever. And, And this is like, and maybe on the flip side, here's the devil's advocate argument. Uh, against my own, uh, you know, assertion, maybe that's appropriate because it is Amy and Rory, right? Like, there's, it shouldn't be the doctor making this decision in this particular instance. And so Rory really is the only one who legitimately can make that decision. And so, yes, in a sense, the doctor is sort of turning him, turning Rory into the doctor, but... right. It's but, also appropriate that he should be in that moment. Too. But it, it, you know what and I mean? It, so. I think that Devil's argument makes a certain amount of sense, except that's not how it comes off. How it comes off is a shirking of yeah. responsibility. It comes off as a, it totally oh, does. thank God you are here so that I don't have to make this decision, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. really, it seems to me whose decision it should be is the Amy's, you know, although, you know, the the problem being, are they ever going to agree, you know? Um, yeah. But, but certainly I think, you know, those one or two moments where the doctor says, like, to Rory, you have to choose, or like, you know, when he's already shut the door and then, like, puts Rory's hand on the handle and is like, well, you know, it's your call now if you want to trade. It, like, ah. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there is a sense that it is actually Amy who makes that decision. Yeah. Right? Because she takes it. She tells she takes Rory, don't yeah. open the door. Yeah, because yeah, he's going to. Like, I want, I want to live yeah. and I will come inside. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's moving to open the door. And it's, yeah, it's her that makes that which you kind of feel like maybe if they'd had time to talk it out they could have got there eventually but she makes the decision to Mm. you know sacrifice her timeline you know for for the and it is it is through the two amy's talking that they even get to the point of you know going through the exercise of bringing them together right yeah. it's 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 the think about rory moment yeah. and he's the most beautiful man i've ever seen and or whatever um so like there is that there is i think you're right there is a sense that like they would have come to a good conclusion at some point if there were world enough in time but there wasn't because their existence together was affecting yeah the TARDIS and and yeah, and I mean the timelines whatever, and all of that. So whatever defenses there are for the Doctor, that's mostly it. Is he's in a crap situation with you mm-hmm. know deteriorating conditions, and you know he can't. He none of the choices are good, you know, and things are rapidly unraveling. So you know you can kind of you know what justification he has is mostly that, that like really what could he do that is right, you know, that isn't going to cost somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you're right that like awful as it is to see him slam that door on Amy, (laughs) 
Um, it is more the kind of like just throwing his hands up and shoving it onto Rory that is the most irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing, you know, which is maybe a little bit more debatable is Rory's other, you know, uh, criticism that he makes, which is the way he travels at all. You know, that you should look at a history book and not land where there are plagues, you know. Um, not to say, and I don't think Rory's necessarily saying that, like, you know, we can't ever do anything that's, like, you know, like monsters attack without warning. So clearly you can't avoid all danger ever. But just that, you know, you would land somewhere that is deliberately is endangering people for no reason whatsoever like they're only in danger because they came here um you know which is another question you know are the doctors you know means of travel you know suspect i guess you know and the doctor sort of just says that's not how i travel and that's yeah. not going to change <laughs> you know yeah. That's not the way yeah. I roll, and, you know, uh, that's right. just and then, the, the deal of living of living in the TARDIS with him. And Rory's response to that is, then I don't want to travel with yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, which I said reminded me of back when um, Amy wanted the Doctor to save Rory, and he couldn't or wouldn't and she goes then what's the point of yeah like like those two you know and the situations are flopped a bit but you know this is this is rory's version of that of saying like you're careless and that carelessness has hurt someone i love yeah and and if you can't do something about that then why why am i even with you yeah like i don't this is not the way i want to live and the emphasis is interesting too that like Ro- or Amy's is more about like the doctor's heroism like you know y- mm-hmm. your y- your role is to save people you know especially people that i love um mm-hmm. and you know whereas right. Rory's is more about like he's the nurse it's more about taking care of people you shouldn't yeah. be responsibility you should be responsible for the people that yeah. you bring with you you know and not just drop them into, like, you know, needlessly dangerous, you know, situations, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, but the kind of the same critique, but for, like, slightly different reasons in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Doctor's travels are never well-researched, are they? Not so much. No. Yeah. I mean, he knows a lot about history because of his experience of it, but I don't get the impression mm-hmm. that he really gets any of that knowledge from like research. <laughs> like there's yeah. no yeah. there's no looking at a guidebook before we drop in somewhere. Yeah. It's sort of a Yeah. If no, we I, even I get a it... choice, I mean, sometimes we just sort of let the TARDIS, you know. I mean, really the TARDIS is always in control, but you know what I mean, like Yeah. yeah. Uh there's like just a randomness to it. Yeah. No, I just, I think of like, so my mom loves planning trips and stuff. She will plan trips a year or more in advance to various places and have all sorts of notes and yeah. compare prices and this and that and mm-hmm. the other thing. Not, not the way the doctor works. No. Not even close. No, 
the doctor kind of there, like buys a ticket and just goes and it's yeah, like we'll figure the, out where to sleep and eat when we get there so the doctor's like on one end of a spectrum and my mom's like complete opposite they're like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh, anyway uh not that anyone needed to know that about my mom <laughs> but whatever uh so well you know what all uh, right speaking of moms uh, i would be remiss if i didn't mention my mom's i think probably her favorite line like every time if she sees this on or just randomly she will say this to me the line about i bring you to a paradise planet 200,000 light years away and you want to update twitter um we yep. have a fondness for that line in our house nice, um, nice. and then the follow up about well, it's a camera phone. Okay, it's on the counter by the DVDs. Like, <laughs> yeah, such a yeah, hypocrite. Yeah. Um, um, anyway. Speaking of which, if you're not already following Cat and Kurt's TV Review on Twitter, we do have a Twitter account, and you can feel free to join us. Oh, sorry. To, Was that not a moment for an advertisement? Way to shamelessly um, plug. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, speaking of, like, the planet as a planet and, like, an actual place where they are, mm-hmm. um, some funny some funny stuff i mean like the whole the situation of it i think is um you know not a huge deal like it's sort of generic interior with yeah. robots running around sure. um but but sort of the idea of it that uh, one i like that the doctor wants to go there cuz it's the number 2 destination I know. um they they don't want to go to number one. That's the planet of the coffee shops. And you can just, just by the name of it, you sort of know how pretentious and, yeah. and not really all that interesting yeah. it is. Um, but this <laughs> Apoleptia, um, you don't really get a full sense of its, uh, you know, capabilities. But you see, like, the garden mm-hmm. and you see, like, the art displays. Mm-hmm. And then um, you get you get the one reference to... The warp speed death ride uh, <laughs> from Disney World Club, and that they have a ride that's based on that, but probably better yeah. than that, yeah. right? Like it's, you know, like I just thought that was so, so many things there are hilarious. That's One that great. it's a death ride, um, you know, which okay, fine, you know, many rides have sort of hyperbolic names, yeah. but also that there's a Disney World on Disney Club. World Club. Uh, I just I have this image imagine. of like a Disney World populated by the Absorbaloffs, you know, like yeah, exactly. And then I think, well, I've stood in lines with maybe people who look <laughs> a lot like Absorbaloffs. That's no, true. Um, that's terrible. I should not say that, but it's, <laughs> it's not, kind of true. It's kind of true. <laughs> um, so that said, I mean. I was in that line, too. What does that say about me? I don't know. Um, That's a good point. A lot can be said about the company you keep, right? Right. Uh, So, no, I just thought that was funny. Um, You know, that several of those things were funny. Uh, Okay, so the under-quarantine. The two streams facility, uh, kind of inaptly named if there's actually, like, 40,000. Yeah, right. You know, uh, time streams going on. Yeah, all overlapping, yeah. feel like that was that's a branding faux pas uh mm-hmm. on their part but you know whatever uh the um yeah and the rest of it i mean okay it has an interface and you learn stuff and that's that's fine like all those are just kind of okay that's cool you built a world but 
I think, like we said at the beginning, that's not like the world and the sort of creatures on it, the robots or whatever, aren't really that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's a pretty well uh, conceived world, but it's there to kind of be the the base for you know all of the philosophizing, really. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, yeah, it's kind of a place to unexpectedly abandon the three slash four of them together so that they can work out some issues. Yeah. Um, The Uh, other thing, which I guess is worth noting, too, is um, some people have made connections between the name Apalapachia and, like, Apple um, and, like, the whiteness of, you know, like, whether that had any influence on the design, like, that it's this kind of white, clean, pristine sort of, you know you know, futuristic technology with voice interface and everything. You know, I don't know whether they did that intentionally, maybe, who knows. Um, sure, sure. Uh, I didn't really think of that, but I suppose, yeah, there is a sort of Apple sensibility to some of the design, I guess. <laughs> um, okay. For whatever that's worth. Uh the one, the, I guess the one final thing that I want to mention um, is the the final, the way the episode mm-hmm. ends uh, with Amy waking up and saying, where is she? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see, and hopefully we'll get to in a few minutes, whether that impacts, like, or how that may impact later things. Because, like, you then suddenly realize, like, yeah, Amy has no concept of what actually happened with mm-hmm. Elder Amy getting locked out and yeah. Rory having to make the decision not to open the door and all of those things that sort of went on in the end there. So like yeah. I'm curious to find out how she handles that and who she blames and how that affects Yeah. Things. Well let me say I'll say that we don't get to see that conversation. Like we don't ever see a mm-hmm. sit down, you know, where Rory says, "Okay, this is what happened." Sure, you know, and I, and I wasn't like expecting the next episode to pick off right, right in that right. moment or anything. So, like, but like, you know, that's why I sort of changed it to like to whether you know, like how that sort of plays out. Maybe it may. Well, uh, maybe I, I'll say, it doesn't really I'll say <laughs> whether or not there are any like references to this story in like the next mm-hmm. couple because we're coming up into like the end of the season now gosh um so whether or not like there are any like you know direct references i won't say but i'll say the the kind of idea of amy and rory's sort of maybe somewhat disillusionment with the doctor you know is yeah. is definitely I'd, I'd keep that in the back of your mind for the next one like you know that's certainly such as such as the sort of dis- disillusionment that makes you follow through with a threat that you don't want to travel with him anymore. Well, perhaps. yeah, you know, maybe or maybe not. <laughs> you know, not going to confirm or I'm, deny. I'm just, anything. I'm just saying that's a potential. That's a potential way that it could. That's work a potential out. way that it could go. Yeah, so, you're going to be tight-lipped on that. Yeah. So when the next you know, comes, I see. Uh, you know, just kind of keep keep all this in the back of your brain really okay yeah i mean it it certainly seems like a pivotal episode of like 
it would be hard to get to the end of this episode and not think, oh, there may be some changes in mm-hmm. the relationship. Uh, multiple relationships, perhaps. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, between the three of them. So, yeah. Interesting to see. Yeah, and percent. again, like, I, I just want to emphasize, too, like, we're, I'll say we're not going to spend a lot of time, like, dwelling on, like, the actual like what happened like talking about like the story of this episode but i think you could say that and then think that it that's not to say that these ideas are like not relevant like those you know feelings and themes are still very much present you know so that's i'll stop talking now yeah that's fine (laughs) you can do that we should probably probably stop stop. talking now (laughs) Um, so on that note, we will stop talking and we'll be back next week with a episode of Angel and another episode of Doctor Who. All right. See you then.